Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the SLP Talk Show. I am Carrie. I'm a pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I am here with the amazing Jim. Howdy. We uh, are back. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been able to record an episode. I don't know I don't... why I said howdy. It's... Howdy, why not? Howdy, hello, hi. Yep. I don't know. We're good. We're good. But yeah, it's long, been a while. Long time no talk. I know, right? It's been a hot minute. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we always have an excuse. Summer, I don't know. Yeah. Summer is fun and busy. Busy, and I've been traveling Travel, a lot. Yeah. So, anyways, we're back. Um, one thing I would like you to know, if you're a new listener, is that Jim and I have an autistic son, and his name is Aaron, and he was diagnosed way back in 2007. And the reason I think that's important for listeners to understand is that our son was diagnosed back when autism was very much considered a tragedy. Right. 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 You uh, left out one thing about him. Oh, what? He's awesome. He is awesome. Yeah. The amazing, awesome Aaron. Yes. yes. Um, he is. He is such a cool kid. He continues to teach us an awful lot, doesn't he? Yep. He really Every is. Day. He's an amazing teacher. Um, back when Aaron was first diagnosed, you know, they were really searching for a cure for autism. Right. You know, right. I mean, yeah. we were thinking it was more like a disease, you right. know, more like an illness. And Disorder. So, yeah, yeah. And they were looking for a cure. And All these I think. Big, ugly words. Big, ugly words. Yeah, I think over the last 15 plus years, um, we've all learned a lot. Um, Jim and I really enjoy doing this podcast together uh, because we're, we kind of enjoy sharing our story and, you know, what we've yeah. learned along the way. Absolutely. And um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about a pretty um, heavy topic today. But before we get started, uh, we have to do a quick game of chump or champ. Okay. All right, Jim, Good. are you feeling lucky? No, but... That's oh, okay. yes. You got to be yeah. positive. So, yes. I, I, I am positive. Yes. That I probably won't get it. No, but. no, 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 no. So <laughs> what we do in Chumper Champ is I read Jim four questions because he's the trivia buff. And if he gets them all right, he is a champ. And if he doesn't, well. I'm a chump. You're a chump. Okay. Mm-hmm. Four trivia questions, hopefully four correct answers. Are you ready, sir? Yes. Question number one. What is the name of the little mermaid in the Disney movie of the same name? Ariel. Very good. Oh, ding, 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 Shot in the dark. Okay, how many lives is a cat said to have? Nine. Oh, see, I knew you were going to. This is an easy card. What number is on the opposite side of number six on a standard die? That's one. Yeah. All right, here it is for four out of four. Are you ready? Yep. What is the smallest breed of dog in the world? Chihuahua. Oh, my gosh. Ding, 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 ding. Way to go. Now, extra credit if you can spell Chihuahua. (laughs) It's it's Chihuahua. Chihuahua. That's the way I used to say it because, okay. you know, there's a province in Mexico. Okay. Okay. Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Yeah. Very good. So you can spell it. Or a I'm state. Impressed. I guess it's a state. So we have really small dogs. I They are not yeah, I was the gonna small say, breed. Gordo. Yeah. So our, the our puppies are Shih Tzus. Right. And uh, Gordo weighs, I'd take him to the vet today, and he weighed a whopping 5.7 pounds. Five. Yeah. He's 5. over five. Six. He's over five. Right. 5.7. And he's two, he'll be three years old. Yeah. yeah so, um, but he is not part of the smallest breed it is the chihuahua so okay yeah 
Very good. Way you to go, Nailed champ. it. I'm a champ. You're a champ. It's the first time in like forever. Yeah, well, congratulations. Way to go. Way to go. All right, so here is what we're going to talk about. Um, the question that I'm going to pose and that we're going to try to answer is, what's the harm in using food reinforcers with autistic kids? Oh, okay. Okay, and, you know, I think I can ask any of the listeners, I can ask you, you know, do you ever enjoy having maybe a handful of M&Ms? Sure. Uh, you know, I know you particularly like goldfish crackers. Yeah. Yeah, he likes maybe his, we too call much. them fishy crackers. Yeah. yeah. Um, neither one of us are big fans of Skittles or gummy worms, but those are also common uh, right. little treats that are often used uh, as food reinforcers. Okay. I um, have been a therapist for over two decades. I'm now an autism consultant in a couple different school districts around the country, and mm-hmm. I can tell you and I can assure you this is very common practice. All right. Okay. Uh, popping um, uh, candy, you know, um, the minute uh, a child is compliant with something, giving them candy, okay. it's happening in therapy sessions, but it's also happening in special education classrooms. Hmm. Okay. So I really want to talk about this. Um, so so historically, you know, we've referred to these little reinforcers, these food reinforcers as edibles, but I feel like I can't use that term anymore because don't you think the word edible has oh, a different man. meaning now? Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> I know, but we used to call them edible reinforcers and okay. I just think we can't do that, right? No, no. No, Jim does not like that. No. Enough said. Enough said. Okay, so let's move on. So we're going to call them just food reinforcers okay. instead of edible reinforcers, okay? That's better. Um, uh, so again, they're commonly used in special education classrooms and therapy sessions. And the reason they're used is in an attempt to teach new skills to mm-hmm. autistic kids, okay? okay? But I think the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is this actually teaching or is it really focusing more on controlling okay. and trying to manipulate the behavior of autistic kids in an effort to kind of make them act in more typical ways okay so that's what we're trying to figure out is are we actually would teaching that also be like masking somewhat? well and you know or... that's that's amazing because that is actually where i was going to go with this is this whole practice of teaching autistic kids to act in more neurotypical ways is right. literally called masking and masking is that camouflaging right camouflaging right. who you are camouflaging your traits um so that you appear to others to be more typical and we have been you know spending a lot more time now um uh, really and by we i mean neurodiversity affirming providers we've been spending time listening to autistic adults autistic adolescents and adults uh, and they have explained to us that this masking um that we have used so prevalently uh you know over the past several decades it causes um you know mental health woes okay so imagine think of it this way so you know i work specifically with very young children you know with toddlers preschoolers you know very young um kids and here's what i want you to think of it's kind of like we're saying hey tiny human welcome to the world but your way of being human is not really acceptable to me so what i'm going to do is i'm going to work really hard to change who you are Mm. your current way of being human makes me pretty uncomfortable uh so i am going to teach you how to act in ways that make me feel better so i'm not really going to take into account how it makes you feel you know what your nervous system needs are uh but i just need to make sure that i um, feel okay because right now your behavior or your way of being human makes me uncomfortable and so what this is is choosing power and control and it really comes down to being all about compliance right okay. we want the yeah. autistic child to be compliant with whatever request or you know whatever directive that we give them and so let's talk specifically uh, about 
food reinforcers, okay? So what does that look like? When an autistic child complies with a directive, what usually happens is a tasty treat just magically appears, right? Whether it's placed on the table in front of them, sometimes it's actually popped into their mouth, okay? okay. So this treat just appears very rapidly as a reinforcer for doing something correct. But I want to share with you three primary reasons why we shouldn't be using food reinforcers with autistic kids or honestly with any kiddo, you know, regardless of diagnosis. So number one, um, when we use food as a tangible reinforcer, it can create an unhealthy relationship with food. We don't ever want a child to be taught that eating is dependent on compliance. Wow. That's, I never thought of that. That's it's, crazy. And we already know our son, as many, many autistic children do, they have a different relationship with food. You know, mm-hmm. Aaron, what have we always said about our son is that he doesn't really do new. You know, right. he has safe foods. We call them safe foods now. He has his list of safe foods. And if all of a sudden those became dependent on compliance, mm-hmm. can you imagine yeah. he would stop eating? I mean, I think that would have been, you know, and that's one of yeah, the reasons we chose. Yeah, we, we chose not to use any kind of behaviorist. Um, type strategies like that when he was um, uh, little. So if a treat is offered, it's fine. We all like, I said at the beginning, do you ever like having a handful of M&Ms? Like, you know, if we want to share a tasty treat with an autistic child, let's be clear, it's fine to do, but it shouldn't be contingent on compliance. So, or, or a certain behavior. Or a certain behavior. So if you say, oh, here's a few M&Ms, let's enjoy this treat together, is different from clap your hands, and mm-hmm. giving him some random, you know, command and then going, good job and giving him a, a tasty treat. Right. Does that make sense? So I'm right. not saying don't ever give autistic kids tasty treats. Like, that's not what this is about. Sure. If, if you want to enjoy it, it's just not contingent on behavior. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. The second reason that we shouldn't be using food reinforcers is that most of the reinforcers that we use are highly processed. They're filled mm-hmm. with sugar and they have very little nutritional value. Right. Okay. So yeah. we really have to think about... Why would, I mean, I wouldn't, if my, you know, uh, if, if any child went to, to school and they just started popping candy and giving them candy all day, I can't believe that, that parents would be okay with that. But right. because they're autistic, we've decided, oh, well, they have to, their behavior has to be managed. So do schools have an actual budget for buying Well, the special these? ed classrooms I've been in, I'm telling you, they have bags and bags so of candy. Maybe donations or... Oh, oh, I think they just buy it themselves, too. I think teachers often do that. Okay. okay? It's just part of the process. Okay? Hmm. Um, the third reason we should really think twice about using food reinforcers is being bombarded with junk food reinforcers throughout the day can affect the child's blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. And it can absolutely spoil their appetite. Sure. So since we're already dealing a lot of times with kiddos who struggle with food. Right. And then you want to make food, you know, getting food contingent upon behavior or participation or, you know, um, compliance. Do you see where this is all headed? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just also want to mention two reasons why really we should think twice about using any kind of reinforcers, um, whether it's food reinforcers or with our son, and I and I have one sitting, I don't know where it is, on the desk somewhere here, but Aaron used to love those little bears, you know, the little mm-hmm. plastic sorting yep. bears, yep. and Aaron always would want to carry one in his hand. It was kind of like what we called a comfort item, right? It sure. just made him feel yeah. safe. It made him feel secure. It was a regulator for him, and oftentimes what would happen is, um, you know, someone would try to take that from him hold it hostage and make him earn it back right. by being 
being compliant. Mm -hmm. Okay, so whether it's food or whether you're using the child's favorite you know, toy, comfort item, uh, you know, some kind of a tangible item, whatever that is. The problem, I just want to just kind of get you guys thinking about maybe two reasons why we should really think twice about using these reinforcers as a way to manage behavior. Using those um, reinforcers is really part of something called operant conditioning, and it's used to train Mm -hmm. autistic kids to behave a certain way and it's really not aligned with neurodiversity affirming practices and i think we do need to probably do um you know a a podcast episode on neurodiversity affirming practices you know we have so many topics we can talk about but i just really want to quote dr barry present uh if you've never read the book uniquely human uh a different way of seeing autism it is a phenomenal book by dr barry present make sure you read the updated and expanded edition so it has a big red banner across the top of the book because in 2022, Dr. Prezant updated it to make sure it uses neurodiversity affirming language. So That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool because his original book, I think, was published in 2015. Mm-hmm. And while it was fabulous, we didn't really know much about neurodiversity affirming language back then. And sure. We're all learning yeah. a lot. So make sure you read the newest uh, version of this book. But it is life changing. And as a parent of an autistic child, when I got to page four of this book, I was already in tears because it was the first time as a parent I felt like I was there was a professional who didn't view my son as needing to be fixed. Yeah, right. Right? Because you know, mm-hmm. we sat through how many tests oh, yeah. and evaluations. Yeah, that and... just proved the same thing that we already knew. Right, is that he's developing differently. It we just got makes that. you feel worse about it. Yeah, That's exactly. All. Exactly. But... So here's the quote, and it's from page four of this book Autism isn't an illness. It's a different way of being human. Mm -hmm. Autistic children and adults aren't sick. They are progressing through developmental stages as we all do. To help them, we don't need to change them or fix them. What's most vital for parents, professionals, and society as a whole is to work to understand them and then change what we do. How powerful is that? That's, that's awesome. I mean, that is far and away my favorite quote of anything I've ever read because it just so beautifully sums up what our role is and Mm -hmm. our role we used to think our role was to change or fix autistic kids when we thought it was a disease when we thought it was an illness when we thought these kids were quote unquote broken Mm -hmm. we had to do certain kinds of therapy in an attempt to fix them right so in essence focusing on the uh, deficits yes deficit instead of instead of trying to to um, focus on maybe the strengths a Their child strengths. has. Or, See, or... spot on. Deficit-driven medical model type therapy mm-hmm. um, and special education is derived from the medical model of disability. So anything kind of done there is, de- is de- designed to kind of fix deficits. Mm-hmm. Whereas this neurodiversity affirming approach um, is really focused on stretching strengths. Right, identifying each autistic child's strengths and interests. Their interests are very important here. Sure. Their strengths yeah. and their interests, and then um, just like a rubber band, you stretch it. Right, we stretch the strengths instead of fix the deficits. I mean, that should be a a way to go for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, if you have strengths, then capitalize on that right, strength. Right, right, right. You know? I mean, we still understand there are going to be kiddos that we work with who have missing skills, and we do, like as therapists, whether we're speech, PT, or OT, you know, mm-hmm. we do want to teach those missing skills, sure. but we want to do it in ways that is affirming of their identity and who right. they are, who the way they're wired, mm-hmm. uh, instead of saying, oh, well, we need to fix them and make them act. 
right you know as though they don't have autism as though they're not autistic right, right? Or, or so mask that. yeah and mask that so um the um other thing i just wanted to mention about using reinforcers of any kind is that uh instead of focusing on coercing compliance what we as neurodiversity affirming providers focus on is establishing that authentic connection with the autistic child it's really about building respectful inner interactions right hmm. respect because wouldn't you right. agree that every human being deserves respect well i think that's how you gain trust isn't it absolutely and and i think we can all agree every relationship is founded on trust. Trust. There is yep. nothing. Trust and respect. Uh-uh. Those two things go hand in hand with each other. So I want you guys to think about this. No control, no manipulation, no dangling the carrot, no conversion type therapies, no dehumanizing practices. When we use neuroaffirming services, what we are doing is focusing on relationship-based learning. Mm-hmm. And anyone who has heard me present or has read any of my information knows I talk about that all the time. Relationship-based learning right it's about building that authentic connection so i've said this for years you have to reach a child before you can teach a child and wouldn't you agree that has nothing to do with a diagnosis or you know the way you're wired yeah i I mean and when you're talking about relationships you're talking about caring yeah yeah when you're in a relationship with someone you care about that person right it's not about manipulating you no it's not about, you. about controlling that person. It's about having a relationship or, or showing that you care or that right. you love them. Right. Or it's respect at I the mean, very least. Basic yeah. human respect. respect. Right. And trust. Right. So the formula, I have this very simple formula for supporting autistic kids. And whether it's if you're a teacher, whether you're a therapist, whether you're a parent, the way we support autistic kids is this very this this formula. Regulate, reach, teach. But first, we regulate their nervous system. Regulation has to come first. So that's meeting their sensory needs, sure. making sure yeah. they feel safe, secure, all of that. Um, so trust, right? But Again, it's, caring. Caring, right? But it's meeting, so it's regulation. We focus on the nervous system first, right? So regulation comes first. Mm-hmm. So then we reach the child, and what that means is we build an authentic connection. Follow their lead. Stop trying to manipulate the situation and, and decide what the child is going to play with or try to make them play in a prescribed way. It's about following their lead, right? And allowing them um, to bring you into their world, right? And then we will slowly through scaffolding, I mean, we will help support this child's learning and development, but we'll do it in a respectful way. So regulate, reach, and then and only then can we teach new skills. And so it's regulation, connection, instruction. That's another way to say it. Whether you like regulate, reach, teach, or regulation, connection, instruction, right? We're saying the same thing, but those are the, that's the formula. And so that is something that, you know, I I spend so much of my time, whether it's in my professional development courses or as a consultant, you know, or when I'm working one-on-one with a child uh, or whether I'm coaching a parent, it's really about helping them to understand that formula, right? It's not about increasing their compliance. And so when you use um, respectful, approaches when you use relationship-based learning uh you don't have to dangle the carrot so i don't have to have m&ms i don't have to offer um skittles i don't have to take aaron's favorite bear uh or you know a child's favorite toy and hold it hostage in an effort to coerce compliance because that's when the challenging behaviors will set in because the child now feels threatened right if you now remove my regulator if you you know um are taking away something that is calming and regulating or something that is my favorite and now you're making me earn it back now i don't trust you Feel like me walking up to you and taking your phone away from you and saying okay you have to do something 
and then I'll give it back to you. And then, yeah, right. then absolutely. I'll give it back. It, it, absolutely. That, and, doesn't, that doesn't make you trust me. Well, no, and as adults... Because I stole that from that's you. That's right. As adults, can you imagine if we use that strategy, that right. we tried to use that practice <laughs> of trying... Jim, after you load the dishwasher, I will give you back your fantasy football, uh, yeah. you know, oh. cheat sheet. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> those are fighting even, words, aren't they? <laughs> Man, I, I'm, I'm unloading that dishwasher yeah, or loading it or whatever. Exactly, exactly. I'll install so, it. <laughs> yeah, so I just want everybody to just take some time and just really think about regulation, connection, and then comes instruction, right? But let's yes. focus on doing it in authentic ways without trying to dangle the carrot, without having to use yeah. tangible, especially food reinforcers. Show the love. Show the love. Show the love. So um, we guys, we know you guys are busy. Uh, you have things to do. So we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your colleagues. Uh, so get out there, be kind and accepting. It's a be- beautiful world out there. So um Go enjoy it. And don't forget, if you haven't done it recently, get your uh, mammogram scheduled. Uh, Early detection can save your life. As an 11-year breast cancer survivor, it certainly saved mine. Until we meet again, cheers. Cheers.